A very good morning to you. Thank you. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. If you'd like to grab a seat, there are plenty of seats over here down at the front. My name's Neil. I'm married to the lovely, lovely Kate. You'll be glad to hear I'm not going to sing my sermon this morning. Well, why not indeed? There are plenty of good reasons why not. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 5. While you're doing that, the offering baskets will be passed around to where you are. Um, morning. You see, if someone wants me to sing, they're going to even give me sort of percussion accompaniment. That's what I need. It's the least of what I need. The, um, this, this month, all of the money that um, is going into the offering baskets is being given to uh, Tear Fund. Uh, the Tear Fund are collecting. It's an emergency um, relief fund uh, for the refugee crisis. And so all of the money that we're collecting uh, goes into there. If you are a UK taxpayer in one of the black pouches in one of the chairs nearby, you'll see a gift aid declaration. If you fill that out, that means the government will give you 20, 25% of your, uh, the tax that you pay back. So um, increases the size of the gift and offering that you're able to make to tier fund. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the other day I was in East Sheen, which is where we live. And someone came up to me and, and asked me for directions to the train station. Now, you know what it's like when people ask you for directions, sort of, we become instantly become an authority on everything um, and feel very empowered that we've been asked to give them directions. There's a superiority thing that comes in and it's like, yes, I know exactly where the train station is. And we think of how's the best way to describe exactly how they'll get to the train station. We, we point, we gesticulate, we wave our arms around. We, we, we tend not to give every minute detail of the path that they should take. We, we tend to point out the prominent landmarks, which are usually pubs that are going to be along the way. What do we do when we're pointing people to God? How do we direct people to God? Because there's a big difference between giving directions on the street and giving directions in the Spirit, you know, for a start, when someone asks me the way to the station, um, the first thing is, I'm, it's most likely that I'm not going there myself. When people ask you for directions, chances are you're not going uh, to where it is that they're asking you for. Uh, you need to get there, and I don't. I've got all the information, as I said, and you don't. And so I, I tell you and set you off on your way, and off you go. But when it comes to finding... God, when it comes to helping other people find their way to God, well, it's, it's, it's a little bit more like uh, realizing that in actual fact, I, I, think, I think we're actually trying to get to the same place. I think we're going in the same direction. And so what happens is we actually join one another on this, on this journey. When I'm giving directions to the station, I know, I know where it is, you don't. You're lost, I'm not but when it comes to finding the way to God, well, maybe I know a few things. Uh, and in actual fact, I think I know uh, fewer things now than I did when I, that I thought I did when I first started out on this particular uh, journey. But I've been on this journey now for th over 35 years. 
uh, which is surprising. It means I became a Christian when I was um, three months old. Um, it's a very precocious child. Um, I've been on this journey for over 35 years, and, uh, and what I don't know far outweighs what I've grasped so far. There's, there's so much more, so much more. And so actually, it's a little bit more like somebody asking you directions to your friend's house. And they ask you for directions to your friend's house, and, and in the middle of uh, describing where they live, you, you, you kind of remember how fond you are of them yourself, and how you, have, you haven't actually seen them for, a, for quite a while. And um, so not only do you give them directions, but you then wonder if you might tag along. It's like, oh, actually, I'd quite like to see them too. Can I come along? And so it may be that we start off thinking that we're telling someone how to get to God. Um, but what happens is as we, as we start to describe what this journey might be like, we get so caught up in the search ourselves that we just want to join in. And we go along with them. And so we set off together on this journey. We kind of share, um, we share bits of stuff that we know and we talk perhaps about things that we don't know and um, we hear of each other's adventures and each other's stories and each other's um, where they've been on this uh, journey so far. And we're sort of like pilgrims, sort of um, characters in our very own Canterbury Tales, um, all on this pilgrimage towards God. And that's that's what this is. You know, in no small part, that's what this thing called the church is. Um, we have our knights and our clerks and our millers, probably a wife of Bath or two. And we're all in this thing together telling our tales, telling our stories, telling of our adventures, doing, doing, just doing the best that we possibly can as we draw nearer to and draw closer to God. Some of us have been on the journey for years and years and years. Uh, some of us have literally just joined in. Some of us are still sat on the side of the road looking at this motley procession kind of walking past in front of us, wondering whether we might like to adventure and journey with these people or not. But if we're honest, um, most of us, in, in, if not in fact all of us, we're we're all asking the same kinds of questions. And the sort of questions that we're asking are, you know, what is this thing? What is this thing called God? Who is this God? And if there is a God, how do we find this God? How do we find our way home? What is the, what is the point of this whole thing called life? How do we do this thing called life? And... When, we, when it is that we're trying to grasp more of God, Jesus, the person of Jesus, can help us a great deal. Um, you see, often what happens, certainly what I find what happens to me is I struggle to see what's next. I, I struggle to see around the, the next corner. And um, it's, like, it's like we're too small. It feels like we're too small. There's like too much in the way. Um, so I feel, I feel like a kid sometimes in the crowd, staring at the back of the people's legs in front of me, not really knowing sometimes where I am, not knowing where I'm going, what's, not really having a sense of what's going on around me. 
And what I need is I need someone to kind of grab me, scoop me, pick me up, and, and, and sit me and stand me on their shoulders so that I can get a sense of the lion, the lay of the land. And Jesus, amongst many, 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 many other things, is certainly that. Jesus is a, is a giant who scoops us up and stands us on his shoulders so that we can see, get a sense of perspective. We can go, oh, okay, this is the way that's up. <laughs> I had no idea. I've been flying upside down for years. And one of the challenges is that um, when you look at the life of Jesus, there are so many things that we can glean from the life of Jesus. There are so many things that we can learn from Jesus that sometimes it's incredibly it's difficult to like know where to start. So, over the next few weeks, uh, probably months, um, I thought we would take some time to, to start where Jesus started. Seems like a good place as any. And to take a look at some of the, the first things that Jesus um, said once he'd started his public um, ministry. And the first recorded teaching that Jesus gave in his public ministry, um, it was given over a couple of days. It was on a mountainside. There was a whole crowd, a whole horde of, uh, of people gathered there. And uh, he delivered what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, So we're going to take a look at that. We'll dip in and out of it. We've got Advent in the way and stuff like that. But it'll keep us ticking over for... It won't be as long as Ephesians, um, which was a three-year sermon series, but very, very good. <clears throat> but it might be quite long. <laughs> it's, it's quite rich. It's quite deep. So anyway, uh, in, Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel, it takes up three chapters. Uh, you can read it in 20 minutes. Uh, but it's like, it's one of those things that you dive into and get, you can just get lost in. Um, it, it's, its depth is immeasurable. And it, it's, it's full, it's rich with um, wisdom and in counsel on um, all kinds of things. Really describing um, a life that is a life that draws closer uh, to God, it, 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 amongst other things. It tells us how to be uh, exuberant. It, it tells us how to um, relate to one another. It tells us uh, how we might meet God in secret. It tells us how we should handle our finances. It, it, it tells us how we should work out what we do with our lives. All sorts of things. And, and amongst many, many other things, it's an invitation. The Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it's an invitation from Jesus to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. And the whole thing starts off, the whole thing kicks off with um, eight statements. And um, they sort of, what they do is they, they kind of grab our attention. They're, they're, they're sort of like, here, here, here. This is, this is what I'm about to say. Listen up. Listen up to this. See what you think. It's a kind of, Taste and see that the Lord is good moment. And over the generations, these eight statements, um, known as um, beautiful attitudes, um, have become known as more simply the be attitudes, the beatitudes. The attitudes we are to be. And over the next few weeks, and as I say probably months, uh, we're going to take a look at each of them and, uh, and, and dig in a little bit more detail. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when, the crowd, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we kind of dive in, dive into this ocean of uh, scripture and very familiar to some of us and may on the surface not look like much, but um, as many, many great people who've gone before us can testify, there is so much more in here than meets the eye. These, these verses have been pondered and poured over by you know, saints and scholars and seekers for, for millennia from St. Augustine to Martin Luther and countless others before and since. And these words have been like a, like a guiding light. They're, they're signposts, if you like, pointing towards um, having a relationship with God in real life. And they, they sort of form a bit of a journey. They're, they're, they're like a set of coordinates, if you like, to follow um, in exploring new territory, this new territory of faith. Um, they enable us to venture into God, and they, they mark out a pathway that many, 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 many feet have trodden uh, before us. And someone once likened the Beatitudes to being like spiritual cans on a mountainside. And uh, there's, a, there's a tradition in the mountains of placing cans along um, the trails where, where walkers might lose their way. And, and each one starts just like a small pile of stones. And they're added to um, year on year by those who pass by until these, these little piles of stones become, they become landmarks in and of themselves. And sometimes people who are walking by will place stones out of whim. Sometimes they'll place stones out of gratitude. Sometimes um, uh, it'll be for a posterity or as a, as a memorial, something like that. But as, um, as these cans, what have they, they, as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, as more and more stones are placed, as more and more people go by, they become, um, they become signposts, they become markers in their own right. They're sort of like um, custodians of these unmarked paths. And so what happens is when the mist comes in, when the snow falls, whatever happens on the top of mountains, and people are 
are increasingly finding themselves lost and not quite sure where they are. These cans, these testaments, these testimonies of people's journey before them, they stand like as beacons, pointing the way, guiding the way, signposts. And they tell us that we're not actually lost. They tell us that although we may be standing on the side of a mountain on our own, they bear witness to the fact that countless people have gone before us. So we're not alone. Many, many others have um, passed this way. And these words of Jesus, they're like these they're like those cans. They're ancient markers. They don't, they, don't give us a, they don't give us like a picture, like a map might. It's not a GPS system saying, turn around. <laughs> Quickly. They just let us know where to go next. And what's great is they kind of give us, um, they give us the permission, they give us the ability to be explorers. And we suddenly can be intrepid adventurers into the things of God as we we then walk by and add another rock ourselves to the path where others have gone before us. And um, when you spend time looking into these words, as we will do over the coming weeks, um, what you get to see is you get to see that there's a connection between each of them. There's a, there's a connection from one beatitude to the other. And it, it's sort of like um, each one, each attitude, each beatitude is the soil in which the next one then can, can take root and grow. And so... When you look at it and you say, well, how, what's the progression there? As we take on, as we begin to take on a sense or something of this spiritual poverty that he refers to at the beginning, um, we shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves increasingly mourning over the pain that we see happening in the world around us. And then as we become increasingly compassionate to the world in which we find ourselves, it may well be that we develop a sense of what we might call groundedness or centeredness that that might just begin to look, look and feel a little bit like a humility. And then with our feet more firmly planted on the ground, perhaps we'll want to relate better to the world around us and the world in which we live. And we'll want to sort ourselves out and we'll want to pursue something that Jesus calls righteousness. Um, and so it's as if Jesus speaking on this hillside 2,000 years ago is, is actually anticipating the masters. He's actually anticipating the, the phases, if you like in um, the journey of our spiritual growth. And so the, these Beatitudes become stages in the development of life in spirit. And just the same way that um, uh, sitting and crawling and walking become developmental stages in the life of an infant and child. And this morning I just wanted to give us a brief overview um, and just look at the very, very beginning of these treasures, this treasure chest that we have in front of us as, as we journey together with them over the coming uh, months. And when you look at the Beatitudes, they, it, again, the danger of the familiarity of the scripture, you know, is just that, oh yeah, I know the Beatitudes. You know, so sometimes it's helpful to look at these things and read these things in a different version, have a look at them from different perspectives. But when you, when you first look at them, it's like they start, they seem to start off at a fairly comfortable pace. Um, and you know, there's nothing too bad in there. There's nothing too traumatic. Jesus begins with things that we're familiar with. And so, um, first of all, he blesses you know, spiritual incompetence. Well, I have that in spades, so I, can, I recognize that. It's like, yes, I can do spiritual incompetence. And then he moves on from there, and he moves on to mourning. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I'm, at the moment, certainly, I feel like I'm having far too much opportunity to do grief and mourning. But, yes, mourning, 
grief. Yeah, it's familiar, right? I kind of know roughly what that looks like. Uh, and then he moves on to things like meekness. It's like, well, yeah, probably not the right person to ask. And the things that we know, the things that we recognize, things that we've got a bit of experience of, things that you know, we can kind of do, and so, so, so far so good, and, and you're trundling along the path, and then suddenly like, the topography changes, and, and it kind of goes from a fairly level ground to kind of this remarkably steep incline. And suddenly it's like there's this game changer going on, and, and, and everything gets a lot more difficult, a lot steeper, and by the end of the sermon, Jesus is endorsing things like... Um, Purity and peacemaking and persecution. And you're like, oh, uh, well, you know, I don't know about those things so much. And, and they sound like they're going to cause trouble. Persecution, I don't think, I, I, I don't know very much about that. I don't know that I particularly want to. And um, so what happens is when we look at it from the beginning, it's like, yeah, following Jesus looks fairly easy. And by the time we get to the end, it's like following Jesus is impossible. And so somewhere between the beginning and the end, there's got to be something, um, dare I say, magical, certainly mysterious, that, that happens. Because in, the, in this process, what, what happens is it takes the weak-willed and, and turns them into revolutionaries. You look at the life of the disciples. They start as this ragtail, motley crew, and they're turned into people who turn the world upside down. Something's happening there. There's a transformation that transforms the the, the somewhat bewildered into these determined disciples. And, and so somewhere on this journey, a transformation takes place. Which is why so many people have taken um, so much time to immerse themselves in what appear to be simple statements. They offer hope that um, actually things can be different. They, they give us a sense that even the most hopeless and hapless and helpless of us all can... Um, can join this journey from sinner to sainthood. There is, there is hope, even for someone like me. Even I can um, join this procession of pilgrims. So let's just take a look at them again. And um, when we just look at them again, one of the things that you'll notice, I hope, is that you'll see a pattern. There's a really clear, strong pattern. Each one has a common uh, structure. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First of all, um, comes what? What? Blessed. Blessed. Yeah, that's, that's all we're going to look at today. It's the first, the, first, it's the first part of every single beatitude is blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. Every single one of these things, is a, each one is a blessing. Every single one is a blessing. And what Jesus is doing, imagine him on this hillside with this crowd gathering around him, what Jesus is doing is he's blessing the crowd. He's saying, you guys are blessed. You're blessed. Oh, here's some more blessing. I know over there at the back. Oh, there's some more blessing. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And when Jesus blesses the crowd, when he's standing in front of this crowd and he's 
He's blessing them. What he's doing is he's stepping into and standing in a long tradition of powerful blessings. Um, you go right through back through the Old Testament and you see blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Blessing shows up lots in the Old Testament. Um, blessings that we'd be familiar with things like, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord rise and be gracious to you. May he give you his peace. And these blessings, they'd been written down and they'd been recorded and they'd been spoken through the oral tradition. These things, this concept of blessing still resonates and resonated with this crowd. They understand the currency, the language, the vocabulary of blessing. And so this is something that they're familiar with. And um, in this context, when Jesus is speaking about blessing, what he's saying is, when I say that you're blessed, what that means is that it means that you've got God's attention. God sees you. To be blessed, it, it means to be kind of living in the glorious rays of God's delight and his, his blessing. His favor. Being blessed means to be free. Being blessed means living our lives under a graciousness that um, allows us to be and to be free rather than sign of some kind of limitation, something that restricts us and puts us into some kind of straitjacket. Blessed, being blessed um, means peace and rest. The shalom of the kingdom has come into our lives, lives that will sometimes feel like they're um, overfilled and hectic and harrowing or whatever. Being blessed, what Jesus is saying is you are blessed. What it means is that God's voice, God's word to you, to us, far from condemning us, far from criticizing us, is singing. God is singing his sermon over us. He sings over us. He rejoices over you with fondness and affection. The Father's heart turned towards you. That's what blessing is. Being blessed means that um, God cares for every single one of us. Not as, like, not as a means to an end. But as a, as a unique and precious treasure in our own right. Last week, if you were here, James Rogers had a wonderful morning. Talking about the pearl of great price. You know, you're the pearl. You're the treasure. But for Jesus and the people that he's speaking to, the blessing is even more than all of that because blessing has legal ramifications. So um, it wasn't just kind of pie in the sky wishful thinking. You know, blessing's got um, teeth. And, um, and the reason it has teeth is because um, inheritance is passed from one generation to one another by blessing. That's the way that inheritance was passed. And so blessing forms part of a contract. And so in legal terms, when you received a blessing, it, it, it meant that you're permitted, you, you're even entitled to expect certain things as part of your inheritance. Certain things are coming your way. And for us, our inheritance is a relationship with God. Our inheritance is a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. And Revelation 21.7 says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
So Jesus is addressing the crowd, and the first thing that he chooses to do, the first thing that he message he wants to get across is this thing of blessing. Blessed, 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 blessed. And there's this huge crowd of people, and they're there with all of their concerns and their stories and their lives and their anxieties or whatever's going on, and they're all in different places. Some of them would have been really um, uh, skeptical, it's like, I don't know who this Jesus guy is, but I'm going to go and listen. Last time there was, or next time, there's like, you know, free lunch. You never know. Free wine at the wedding, free lunch. I mean, it's got to be worth it. So, but they're skeptical. Some of them are curious, maybe. Some of them are just miserable. Some of them are disappointed. Some of them are doubtful or whatever. I don't know. And wherever they are, the first thing that Jesus says to them, the first thing they hear is blessed. And I don't feel very blessed. Jesus says, no, no, you're blessed. And when Jesus blesses them, what he's doing is he's giving them permission to start this journey towards relationship with God just exactly as they are, just as they are, whatever else is going on in their lives. And, and in just the same way, these words are spoken to us too. Jesus is giving us permission. Jesus is giving us an express permission. He's entitling us to come on this journey, to, to journey towards finding relationship with God, just as you are. You don't have to become somebody else to press in more to God. You don't have to change, you know, and, 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 and pretend to be something that you're not. You come to God just as you are, and as you discover God, you allow the Spirit of God to transform you, change you, and lead you into all righteousness. What, what Jesus is trying to do is trying to dispel that, you know, that sense of self-consciousness that cramps our start and um, Jesus is waving away all these things, these barriers that are going to get in the way of us meeting with the Father, which is all he wants us to do. And what he's doing is he's inviting us into this bottomless and limitless life of, of, of blessing and acceptance. And the thing is, is for a lot of us that comes as a bit of a surprise to us because when we think about God, if we think about God at all, many of us will think that if God has anything to say to me, it's more likely to be um, criticism than blessing. Um, it's much more likely to be judgment than acceptance. Surely God is much more about pointing out our flaws rather than um, commending our potential. And, and what Jesus is doing here is saying, no, that's the wrong way up. That's back to front. That's not who your Father in heaven is. That's not who he is. And so sitting on a hill, speaking to anyone who's vaguely interested, Jesus says, you're blessed. You are blessed. And this is just really important because it's the essential and foundational background to everything that we're going to come to over the next uh, few weeks and months, that, that God has um, already, he accepts us just as we are. He loves you for who you are, even if you don't know that yet, even if we don't know that yet. Our Father in heaven loves us, knows everything about us, and still loves us. And so it's that blessing that sort of hangs over all of these beatitudes. It's like a, it's like a fantastic rain cloud, just heavy with spring rain. It's just waiting to kind of burst over Anybody who steps under it, it's like blessing. This blessing in this Sermon on the Mount is like, um, you know, it's like a roof that provides shelter. It's like the ground upon which we stand so that we won't fall, we won't be shaken. 
Um, all of these beatitudes, they're blessings. Every single one of them is a, is, is a gesture of divine goodwill. It's like a thumbs up from the Almighty. Um, it's, it's this reassuring nod from heaven. That the Father, our Father God is wanting to bestow blessing upon us. He wants our lives to be blessed. And so blessing is like this overarching, undergirding, all-encompassing atmosphere, if you like, for want of a better word, in which we are called to live. And what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount is he's, he's steadily and deliberately sounding out the heartbeat of God towards us. And, and the, the, the rhythm of the heartbeat of God towards us is blessed, 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 blessed. That sense of blessing that God wants to bestow just beats with the rhythm of God's heart towards us. And, um, and when we look at these Beatitudes, not only are they kind of general blessings for everybody, but they're specific, they're specific blessings for individuals. And as Jesus delivers, as, he, as he's delivering the sermon, as he's talking, he's not just addressing a faceless crowd. Jesus is looking at and he sees the lives of, and the faces and the hearts of the people right in front of him. And um, as he looks amongst the crowd, he sees, you know, a, a, I don't know, a passionate and bewildered young man who doesn't know what to do uh, with his life. And uh, it's like you imagine that Jesus catches his eye and looks at him and blesses his sort of emptiness. You imagine Jesus talking to the crowd and looking around the room and seeing, I don't know, maybe a widow and her kids and looking at her straight in the face and saying, I bless you in your grief. You're, I, you're blessed in your mourning and your grief and your misery and your desperation. You are blessed. Jesus sees, he sees who she is. Maybe, I don't know, he sees some guy who's just come in from work. He's maybe a farm laborer. And Jesus looks at him and sees him and blesses you know, his connection and connectedness with the earth. And, uh, you see in this sermon, Jesus is bringing not just generic and general assumptions about blessing. He's naming individuals. He's calling them out. He's saying, I see you. I see you. The Father sees you and you are blessed in the midst of everything that you've got going on. You feel hopeless. You feel out of control. You feel like everything's gone wrong. You feel like the wheels come off. And Jesus says, I see who you are. I see what you're going through. And you are blessed. And um, what he does is, is he does that is Jesus is confronting each of us in the reality of, of um, who we are. We have this place in God's affections. And um, what's so amazing, I think, about these verses is that the characteristics, the things that Jesus is describing, the things that Jesus is blessing, they're not harsh demands. They're not unrealistic. Uh, things that somehow make us more acceptable um, by becoming something foreign, something different to who we are. What they are is they're actually, if they're demands at all, which I'm not convinced that they are, but um, the only demand, the only requirement is that we become more fully ourselves. The Beatitudes is an invitation to becoming more fully and more 
um, authentically who we are in Christ. They, they, they resonate with, a, with some distant memory that we have of a life that we were once called to that we abandoned or our first parents abandoned in the Garden of Eden. It's a calling back to the fullness of life that God intended for every single one of us. And, um, and what happens through these words, you've got this, this profound kind of moment, there's this regal sense whereby as Jesus is pronouncing these blessings, it's like, I mean, I don't know who would it be, like King Arthur, someone like that, right? Um, King literally walking around the crowd and grabbing hold of individuals and naming them and knighting them and saying, Arise, sir. Arise, lady. Whatever. Jesus is walking around. He's seeing people and calling forth that prophetic thing of calling out the true identity. There's this kind of profound moment going on. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This morning the Lord is wanting to tell you that you are blessed. The Lord is wanting to bestow upon every single one, just just soak and saturate you in his, his blessing. Generous and lavish, unreserved blessing. Uh, on your lives. The Lord, the Lord sees every single one of us. He knows exactly where you're at. He wants to bless you in that situation, in that moment. 